Welcome to A Word in Season with Dextringer and Friends. We share good news and godly wisdom to empower you to be salt and light in every season of life. There are no shortcuts in life or faith. Elias Flores trained his son Caleb for wrestling competitions by shaping his appetite for life and teaching him to win from his back. Eventually, Caleb, a champion wrestler, realized his father was not training him just for wrestling, but also to be a champion in life. Listen as Doug Stringer talks with Elias and Caleb about the importance of taking the long view. They discuss spiritual strategies to build foundations that will enable you to be a champion too. After the episode, consider leaving a review and follow us on your favorite streaming service. If you've gleaned anything from this podcast, consider paying it forward with a gift at somebodycares.org. Now let's join our host, Doug Stringer. As I was reading through some things, Caleb, that you said about your father and the impact that he's had in your life. And I know uh, I first met you years ago when you were also uh, coaching at another college and now you're at Vanguard University. But tell me a little bit about how you see the influence of your parents in your life that has helped define some of who you are. Because it's one thing to do great things, but it's another thing to to know why we do what we do. But there are some root foundations that you grew up with, uh, Caleb. And I want you to share from your heart a little bit about your journey and then a little bit about the influence of your parents uh, in your life and to who you are today. You know, I can't say enough uh, good things uh, about my parents because they they were, you know, examples. I mean, there's, you know, in leadership, I think there's a there's a lot of pointers, meaning I do this and pointing. And there's very few people that are willing to get in the fight with you. Uh, and I think those are the ones the ones that get in the fight with you are the ones that have the greatest impact uh, because. Uh, whoever you're leading or mentoring, when you want to quit on yourself and you see your leader or your mentor in the fight with you, it's hard to quit, you know, because they're in the battle. And, and um, you know, with my parents, I mean, my dad, he was crazy. Okay. He was crazy. He was crazy. He was crazy. <laughs> he was crazy in a, in a positive way, meaning yeah. like you, he, if we, if you said you want to do something, he was going to give you the tools and push you in the direction to go. And he was willing to discipline you and point you in the right direction. And I feel, uh, you know, my parents taught me at a very young age that discipline is not a negative. It actually redirects you and shortens your path. You know, it helps you if you're thinking of like a horse, it puts the blinders on you, you know, uh, and to go, go uh, to the direction you want to go. And so, you know, at a very young age, um, I couldn't hit a fastball after 10 years old. I could or a curveball. Um, and then, uh, you know, you know, God didn't bless me with great height. I'm, I'm a, on a good day. I'm five, six on eight hours of sleep. And um, on most days I don't get that. So I'm five, five and a half, maybe. All right. Um, but, um, you know, but wrestling, you know, basketball wasn't an option for me, but my dad uh, got me into the sport of wrestling. Cause that's something he was passionate about in high school. And, you know, it was one of those sports that hard work, what you could put in was what you kind of got out of, you know, it was only you out there. And that kind of really in, enticed me and incentivized me because, you know, I had an older brother who was an all-star baseball player. And, you know, I was trying to wake up at six o'clock to take ground balls off the, off the tennis ball at the garage and take ground balls to try to keep up with him. And, you know, I had an all-star sister at basketball and I'm waking after I get done taking ground balls, I'm shooting, I'm shooting a, a basketball into a trash can, <laughs> uh, just working on my jump shot. And, you know, so I had work ethic, but, you know, for whatever reason, I wasn't gifted in 
I like to say my hand-eye coordination wasn't great. So my dad found a path for me with, with the wrestling aspect of things. And, and, you know, once I found my niche and there, and there was something really, really enticing about getting your hand raised. And I don't want to say instant results because, um, you know, the practice room, uh, you don't see, you don't get uh, instant results in the practice room. More times than not, you're uh, taking your lumps. Once I started getting more confidence and doing better in the practice room and my dad put me out there to compete, you know, seeing your hand getting raised and um, it was very, uh, I don't want to say intoxicating, but it was a very gratifying feeling. You know, once I started that, my dad, you know, started showing me some Olympic tapes and national tapes and, hey, this is what could be, what this could lead into. And so he really did a good job of fanning my fire uh, of that. But then you have my mom with the balance, um, you know, because when people want to praise you and tell you how great you are, you still need that that other that other side of things to, to tell you what you need to still work on and being open to uh, listening to uh, critiques and where you can get better in, in all aspects of your life, you know. And so, you know, I really felt like I had that good yin and yang. You know, my dad was, a, I don't want to say a hype man, but a good positive. Real <laughs> my mom did a really good job of putting her arm around me and, and whispering a that was good, but we could do this better too. And uh, if anybody ever met my mom, the reason why myself and my siblings are tough is because of my mom. You know, uh, she she showed she. Well, first of all, she's married to my dad for forty years now, and <laughs> second of all, she's <laughs> uh, she 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 was she was the rock. You know, dad was at work uh, in the evening times, and she was the one getting us to our practices. She was the one having those you know those those uh, private talks that you know, that only a mother could really handle, you know, and give you that motherly wisdom and godly motherly wisdom. And, and, you know, always trying to encourage us in a positive way. And, you know, one of her best sayings um, that always kind of stuck with me, and and it's a proverb, I believe, is, is, um, if you love me, you obey me. Sometimes God gives us some things and some challenges, or, or we want to train or whatever your goal is, you know, God places these things on our hands and we don't want to go. We don't want to do certain things or we don't want to discipline ourselves to go after it. Uh, if you love me, you obey me. You know, you have a bigger message or a bigger plan and a bigger goals ahead of us. So uh, those are the type of things that, you know, I was very blessed to have uh, as far as parenting and background. Both of them were in the fight. My mom never missed the match. My dad never missed the match. Wow. Uh, if I didn't wrestle well, it wasn't my dad to let, let me know I didn't wrestle well. It was my mom that let me know I didn't wrestle well. Uh, <laughs> everyone was was invested into this journey of wrestling or my journey of wrestling as a, in my competitive career. So it was, wow. it was really awesome. I love what you said in an interview when you first took over as head coach there at Vanguard University. You said, my parents deserve all the credit for whatever good qualities I've displayed. That shows a lot of honor there. And I know that means a lot to your family that they, you know, of all the things you've all been through, the crucibles of experience, the challenges of life, and yet look how successful each of you and your siblings have become because of the investment and the foundations laid that your parents gave and the sacrifices made. And and I, I love this quote, Caleb, you said, I want to win, but we're also going to do it the right way. There are no shortcuts when you're building a foundation. Wow, that's a powerful statement, Caleb. And and I know that has a lot to do with the journey of your growing up and your parents and so on, understanding that if you want to be a champion, it doesn't mean that you won't have times of failure. But if you want to win, you've got to do it the right way. Uh, can you kind of unpack that a little bit? Because I know it ties in with your upbringing, but wrestling to me 
from my high school days wrestling in Japan still define some of my disciplines today. And people think of it as an individual sport, but it really is an individual discipline, but a team sport. And just unpack a little bit about what you said about, I want to win, but we're also going to do it the right way. There are no shortcuts when you're building a foundation. I have to tell you this one thing, Caleb. I was at the fitness center the other day and a guy walks up and says, hey man, are you an athlete? I go, I used to be, but I'm I'm in like, I'll be 66 soon. He goes, what? No way. I go, yeah. He goes, well, I, I do jujitsu. I go, well, I ain't going to fight you, buddy. But he goes, no, <laughs> seriously. And we started talking about it. So I used to do wrestling and a little show to NG Kempo. And he goes, let me tell you something. The hardest people that I have to compete with in jujitsu have wrestling backgrounds. And that is so true. When you talk about even today's MMA, and you talk about even when I was in high school, they were recruiting from the wrestling team to go play baseball and football because they knew there was something about the mindset and the discipline of wrestlers. And I have to just say it had a lot to do with even taking me through some very difficult times in my life. So to unpack a little bit about uh, what you said, I want to win, but we're also going to do it the right way. There are no shortcuts when you're building a foundation. Number one thing is as a leader, Number one, I can't be afraid of failure because if I just stay in my bubble, I will never expand. Uh, failure is part of living a full life. If I just stick in my comfort zones, uh, we will be a top, you know, in my opinion, we'll be a top 20 team forever, you know, and, and that's good. But one of the biggest opponents of, of being great is being good, you know, because we kind of get satisfied with positive results 75% of the time or 80% of the time instead of doing the little extra or a loss now really might mean a win later. You know, if we get out there and if we get exposed, we could, for wrestling terms, I could break down film. I can make some adjustments. I can transition. And the next time they see me or next time I wrestle that guy, he's wrestling a whole different Caleb Flores or he's wrestling a whole different uh, Vanguard University team. So we gotta be, you know, I always tell my guys is we gotta be willing to go out there, compete fearlessly, meaning that we're not, afraid to make mistakes is we're human we're going to make mistakes all right but some of the things we cannot especially as a coach that you cannot fix or as a leader you cannot fix is effort you know that has to come from within inside the athlete and you know as as a coach as i as i'm leading my team you know uh, a, a quote that caught my attention last week was um in order to i can't inspire anybody else if i'm not inspired mm. you know in order to inspire someone, you need to be inspired. So every day I got to show up ready to go. Every day I got to uh, break a sweat in front of my guys. You know, I can't just, as much as I love my coffee, if anybody knows my dad or myself or knows the Flores family in general, that, hey, it's right here too. All right. Anybody knows the Flores family, we have a cup of coffee in our hands all the time. But anyways, uh, you know, I can't just get comfortable sitting there with a cup cup of coffee in my hand, you know, and being complacent with that. I got to be willing to show my athletes what it looks like. I got to present an image. I got to present a, a, a visual of what they, what success looks like or what the work looks like, you know? Um, and like I said, I'm getting a little older They're, They might sneak a takedown here and there in the practice room, but you know, they see the fight that, that it requires. And, um, you know, I've seen too many programs, you know, I shared a little bit with my dad. We had, we were celebrating my dad's 60th birthday on. on yeah. Saturday. Happy we're, birthday. Yeah. He's old. But, but, you know, we're, we're discussing and, you know, this is a big year in our program history. You know, we year four, we have a lot of guys graduating. We have guys that, you know, in, 
from day one, we're in our program, you know, they're graduating and, and the foundation, you know, you see other programs here for uh, the state of California has lost two programs in their fourth year. So after the fourth year completed, uh, they had to shut down the wrestling programs just because of academic school reasons, kids, you know, not be disciplined off the matter outside of the classroom. And, and to me is because they wanted to win now and not realizing the ripple effect of doing things wrong. You know, as, as a leader, uh, every decision we make, especially in a, well, I'm, I'm a college coach, so I have a four to five year window with these kids. So every decision I make with any one of my athletes has a ripple effect for the next four to five years of my program. And yeah, I might get a W in my win column and it pats my stats and it pats our team ego or our team record. Uh, we're really imploding inside because we, we took a shortcut. You know, which in turn, I'm going to have to prune a lot of the excess of the bad fruit that comes out of that decision. You know, so I got to be very cautious and very mindful of understanding that a, a loss now will mean a win later. It's just being willing uh, to, A, I have a great uh, boss that I communicate why I do what I do and understand and explain it to him and come and telling him my justifications because you in this day and age with these kids, you got to explain yourself. There's, there's no more, there's no more blind faith with these kids. And, and you know, I kind of like it because I could explain to them, you know, and they could see things from my eyes, but I have a great boss that I could explain that to. And I have my athletes that I refuse to cheapen the win uh, by, by being willing to just shortcut it. And yeah, because this kid's a better wrestler, but he misses class and he doesn't show up to practice. I'm going to put him out there. That's not how it works. It is an honor and it is a privilege to represent your university. You know, you got to do things right. And uh, like I said, I think it's, it's worked out well because I feel when my team goes out there, they understand it's a privilege. They understand that they're, they're going to compete hard and uh, they earn that right to be on that map. One of the mentors of my life spiritually, he was from California. He actually is the founder. He's gone to be with the Lord many years ago now, but he founded the Christian Men's Network Worldwide, Dr. Evan Lewis Cole. And he wrote the book, Maximize Manhood, Strong Men in Tough Times, Courage. But one of the things he taught us that champions are not those who never fail, but those who never quit. And he said, never, 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 never quit. And I want to transition to your dad here for a moment because, and from something you've said, I look forward to having the kind of impact on young lives that I was so lucky to have impact mine. Wow. Again, another powerful quotable from you, Caleb. And that tells me the, the depth of your maturity spiritually. You know, Dr. Cole taught us that maturity is not based on age, but on the willingness to accept responsibility. Just knowing you over the years and with your family, that you are definitely an epitome of that, that you definitely take responsibility. You, you don't let the moment keep you from moving forward. You have a good family support system to help you. And, and I, it's very obvious in the maturity by which you walk and your the desires of the substance of your character that wants to see lives changed. And so Elias, I know you're a proud dad. Oh, oh, absolutely. I want you just to take it from there, because I mean, there's been a lot said yeah. here. Your son has some incredible quotes, uh, but it's not just quotes. It's things that he lives. And just share from your perspective, from your corporate background, as but also as a father, then your corporate influence and then and then what you're doing today. I did my time for UPS and, and I was in I was in the management team there for 30 years. So 
you know, you, you deal in the realms of uh, authority and power. Uh, that's what you deal with, authority and power. If we said that that truck needs to be loaded in, in uh, 15 minutes, we came back at 12 and had started rolling from there. So we, that was the kind of uh, mindset, corporate background I come from. Then that trickled out throughout all the training programs and stuff like that. It really fed into what I expected from my sons. Now, I come from a, a very theological family background. My, da- my dad's doctor of theology, my, my uncles, they all graduated from Harvard. And, you know, they all got there. They all got more degrees than thermometers. And you coming from that background, you better have your stuff together. And my dad would always tell me, this is what it's like to be my son. I don't care about the neighbor's kids. There's things that they do. I don't, you know, this is what it takes to be a florist. This is what it takes to serve God. This is what we do. This is what drives us. And very early on, I I learned that principle and I just passed that to my son. I said, look, this is what it's like to be my son. If I'm going to train you, I'm going to put my hand on you. And, And many, many of the discipleship programs deal with the word of the Lord. But the real discipleship program is when the hand of the Lord's upon you. That's the real discipleship program. That's when somebody puts their hands on you and you become the clay and, and the potter begins to work on you. I was working on my son uh, very early at eight years old to become Olympic champion, to, to become a national champion. I was already molding and building that mindset in him. And uh, one of the principles I used was, was Proverbs, train up a child in the way he should go, that when he grows old, he will not depart. That word train is, is the word shanak, which actually is a picture of a mother having a baby. And the first thing she does with that baby is when the baby is presented to her, she chews up a date and she makes a paste. And when the baby starts to cry, she puts that finger in and begins to massage the palate of that baby. And she begins to, first the date is sweet because of the blessing, the sweetness of everything. And then the date loses its sugar and turns into a vegetable and becomes very, very kind of bland or bitter to that child. And those are the things that, that um, I began to focus on with Caleb and all my kids was shaping their appetites for life. You know, not shaping their talent, but shaping their appetite, their appetite for life, their appetite for success, their appetite for the kingdom of God, their appetite for the word of God was what I was after. I was after that. When I would have healing services and uh, moves of the spirit at, at our churches, I would take them to all my revivals. My sons were right there with me because I wanted them to see the power of God. I wanted them to experience it because I was shaping appetites. I wanted them to sit there and say, I want to be like my dad. I, I, want, I, I want that, you know? And so I always exposed them to things that, that would help shape a hunger, that would help shape an appetite for with that in mind, you know, everything my sons are doing, my daughter's doing, it's because of the appetite, the palate massaging. And one of the key things too, was that most kids at certain ages, they won't allow anybody to put their finger in their mouth anymore because of disappointment, discouragement, disillusionment, um, contradictions, hypocrisies. They don't trust the training. They don't trust the church anymore because the last church they went to discouraged them. So they will not open their mouth to be retrained again. And so those are some of the things that I, I built. I built my discipleship programs. I, dis, I, I built my uh, athletic programs on hungry kids for the right things. If I can teach them, I don't have to worry about them going out and getting drunk all night and, and then partying all night and then coming in and turn. No, because they'd have the right appetites. They're not hungry for that stuff. They're hungry for victory. That, that's how you can trust your kids is when they have the right appetites, you know what they're hungry for. 
They're mm. not going to go looking in the refrigerator and say, there's nothing in here. They're going to look in there and say, this is what I need. Everything I need is in this refrigerator. And that's what I tried to do uh, with Caleb with very much success with my oldest son, Elias, very much success, successful with him was to go after their appetites because they have longevity in, in the uh, process of athletics and also longevity in the kingdom of God. I don't worry about my children out there doing crazy things because they have the appetite for God. They have the appetite for their athletics and, and the purposes. So yeah, the, our journey, and trust me, I had a lot of, I had a lot of opposition because yes, I was crazy because I, I, I knew where he wanted to go. And so I had some experience wrestling. I, was, I, was a, I had my day in the sun. I had my day in the sun in baseball. So I understood what a professional athlete was about. I understood what the dedication it would take. And I understood the focus. And many people are so disfocused that they criticize your focusness. We can't allow that to happen in, in our children. You know, they're doing what they're doing because they are hungry for the right thing. They're hungry for that. That separated me from driving my son to leading my son. That's good. You know, I was, I was on the treadmill with him. I was on the tracks with him. It wasn't you running, I'll, I'll follow you in my car. No, no, I was, I was 40, 39 years old, 40, 40 years old, and running those miles with him and getting on and exposing him to some of the greatest wrestlers in California. I wanted him to be great. But I want his appetites. I wanted to expose him to the right thing. So his appetite for greatness was going to increase without my influence. That, those are some of the principles I didn't. So what he's doing now uh, is prophetic in a lot of senses. He'll, he'll probably get into that. I'll let him dis disclose that portion on where he is and why he's there. That was a very powerful time. That was part of uh, my mantra, you know, when, whenever I do any of the training discipleship is, is from that paradigm of putting my finger in my son's mouth and uh, 34 years old now, my oldest son's 40, my daughter's 37 and they still call me daddy. And that's probably the greatest, oh. the greatest well, I, thing in the world. I love that's your awesome. family. I mean, just the way that I watched the, the way they honor you and your wife and the respect they have for one another. Yeah. Uh, it's, it really is uh, heartwarming. And I know it means a lot to you and to see them all celebrate with you this past few days for your 60th. And it messes with me a little bit watching just the, the value of how they honor you and your wife, your influence in their lives. And they're the, they are the epitome and reflection of that. And, and you were sharing, Elias, that, you know, about your, your parents and uncles, and you have such a legacy of people that love the Lord. And yet you've been able to balance the corporate world and ministry because you started ministry at the age of 18 and here you are 60 years old, and through all the corporate influence that you had, you still maintain your foundations in the Lord and ministered and still had revival services and still traveled. And when you had every opportunity to minister in churches, and now you're doing that all the time, but how do you maintain your convictions and your biblical foundations when all the other foundations seems to be cracked right now, and yet you've been able to walk through that because you're a student of the word. I mean, you give me books and stuff going, oh my gosh, this is heady, but it's good stuff. You have to take, you know, a paragraph at a time and go back and reread it. And yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> and I love those conversations with you because you have that kind of legacy that you're living out and passing on. But how do you balance the way the culture is today? When I'm talking about not the culture of yeah. Christ, but the culture right. of the world, yeah. with knowing you have to stay true to your fundamentals and your foundations. Part of the, the, the things that I learned was there's no such thing as balance, you know, because balance means equal measure. I think the key word is priority. You know, I, I think you prioritize everything. 
everything in its place and, and prioritize the wife, the family, the ministry. You go down and you prioritize and you give 100% of everything at your prioritized list. And that's how I've been able to do it. And my wife has supported me throughout everything because to be honest, we're alpha males. I mean, we when we go, we go. We don't care. We go. I, I At least I do. I'm 150% of whatever I do whether it's debating, whether it's, it's bringing, uh, you know, cultural confrontation, shifting the mindset of these young people that come through these uh, woke institutions into the church, trying to redefine love, redefine some of our basic principles of truth under the umbrella of love and get into those. I'm 150% into all those arguments. I think if we prioritize, then balance, balance makes sense. You know, balance makes sense. But when it was an equal measure, it's a little here, a little. I I just never, when I was a wrestling coach, it was 100% wrestling coach. Baseball, baseball, football, football, basketball, basketball, ministry. I mean, I don't even remember taking vacations because all my vacations were in ministry, traveling the weekends and traveling weeks and taking my kids. You know, if I'm gone more than five days, my priority was to fly my children wherever I was at. Anna and I, would we would travel out as a family. And they would meet me wherever I was at because I didn't want to be one of these ministers that says, well, where's your wife? Well, she's at home. Well, you've been gone for seven days. And now, what, what's really going on here? So accountability, all that, all was part of prioritizing everything we did. And so my wife was probably the greatest assistant coach I've ever had. My wife was with me for all these things because of priority. And there was a lot of sacrifices on her end to make these dreams and visions come true. But it was priority and, and the balance and with work life and all that. I never took a promotion at work because I was very promotable all the way my, throughout my career. I said, no, because my family was my priority. If I take that next level up, I'm gone. They're going to own my life. I can't do that. I couldn't take the dollar over my family and my values and, and things that, that uh, I was able to do. I stayed at a certain level by choice because of my priorities. You have a great ability, and you alluded to this, about giving 100%. If it's this in wrestling and ministry and baseball, family, at that moment, you were in the zone. You you give 100% right there. And you have you do have that unique ability from the, you know, the years I've known you is that when you're with somebody, you're in that zone with them right then. Yeah. And no matter what's going on around, you're in the zone and you're able to converse at that level, making that person or group of people feel like this is important to you. And I know that's not an easy thing to juggle when you wear so many hats and so many responsibilities. And, and even though you left the corporate world, the demand on your life, even for ministering, traveling all over has increased obviously you're retired from that particular vocation but you just moved transition to another level of service absolutely and and there's there's no retirement you know there's there's refiring there's refocus there was you know all those disciplines that i learned at ups helped me to create a network to stay disciplined to to punch the clock every day to punch the clock every day what did you do to improve every single day your processes, you know, your, your understanding, your knowledge. What are you doing every single day to, to do that? You know, I don't have somebody over my shoulder telling me what to do. So if you don't have that appetite for righteousness, holiness, you're going to fade. It's, you know, it's that the depravity, you know, sets in, you know, hungry for the wrong things, not understanding how to eat correctly, not having good Christian hygiene, 
or sound doctrine, which Paul was really trying to say, hey, some, some people have too much bad odor in their uh, Christianity. They don't have good sound doctrine. So constantly working in those things, my corporate background has really, really helped me uh, navigate and to put some boundaries and borders around everything I do every single day. That's what keeps me from falling off the balance beam. When you talked about Caleb wasn't happy with this, but you tried to teach him how to move from being on his back on the mat rather than from the top. And, and I can understand that for Caleb's sake, because when I remember my takedown was great. And I didn't want to start from the floor, from the mat, and especially on my back, you know, having to get my neck from getting pinned. And obviously there was a life lesson here that has helped Caleb throughout his life. But tell me a little bit about what your thinking was and why to be a champion, you had to teach him how to do it from his back on the mat. You know, champions don't spend any time on their back. They don't know what it's like to fight off a position. Uh, we call it a predicament. You can go from a hold to a predicament. Once you get into a predicament in wrestling, the referee has started counting from near falls and then a fall. You're in a predicament. That's a situation you can't get out of. Teaching a champion or teaching a, a high level or a skilled kid that's never been there before, understanding what type of position he's putting that in, that other opponent under. So he understands what he's doing to that opponent, but he also has to have the um, those feelings and emotions and deal with them on a personal level. So I started putting him on his back and started teaching him very young that if you have, I'm never going on my back, dad, that doesn't happen, dad. That's not going to happen, dad. <laughs> okay. I said, okay. Maybe not now, okay? But you will thank me someday, <laughs> you know? And I've never seen him go to his back. I've personally never seen that, okay? And I've watched probably about 98% of his matches. So that, those type of things are, are very true. But I have seen, and I've coached hundreds of wrestlers that were had this type of same abilities. But when they went to their back, they didn't know how to get off their back. So I started putting my wrestlers on their backs and really started teaching them how to bridge correctly, feel the pressure, how to, how to turn away from the body, how to squeeze their arm through, how to create space, how to breathe down there, how not to panic, how to stay calm. Failure is not fatal if you do the right things from those positions. Every position is winnable, but you have to know how to win. And that's one of the things to learn how to win in a bad situation. And so I was putting him on his back and he hated because I would put my shirt over his face and he couldn't breathe and I would lay on his face and, he, and he's suffocating down there. And I'm going, well, fight. How bad do you want this thing? And, and, and it was part of fatherhood too, because I want, as a father, I wanted to feel what type of fight he had in him. I wanted to put a, a level of fight in him. So in case he ever got off, got on his back, if he could throw me off my back, off him, then I know a kid to put him in fight. He could throw them off. It was a way of measuring the, the fight in this little dog I had here. It was a little Yorkie at the time, you know, <laughs> it was a little, a little, you know, he was a little guy at the time, but I wanted to see what type of fight he had in him. Was it a bulldog that was in there or was it just one that once he faced adversity, he'd vapor into the wind, accept the fate of a good move or a good throw, or would he fight fate? Would he push against it correctly and know how to push against it correctly? And in through those years, and I know he hated going to his back because that was a no-no. So that was my principle and did that with all my teams, but I definitely did it with him because I knew the higher you go, the mistakes are costly, the higher you go.
say from my perspective. <laughs> be a little bit from my perspective. It was miserable. All right, <laughs> miserable. Um, just just for the simple fact that you know adversity or when circumstances are tough, it's it's never fun. Looking back on it, you know, like they were discussing, there's always a way out. There's this maneuver X, Y, Z. You know, looking back on it, it really just determined your mindset. You know, you got to make a decision on whether or not you're going to fight or whether or not you're going to accept it. I think the bigger lesson on just not just fighting, you know, to survive the position and, and giving yourself an opportunity to win the match or come back. Uh, it's just in general, that word decision really, you know, the root means to cut off, cut off. So but by decision, that means you're cutting off all the other options. That, that means you have to make a decision and go towards one goal. Uh, so my dad, as he was putting me on my back and, and fighting, he he pretty much cut, cut off all, all my other options because he wasn't going to let me leave the room until I got off my back. But you have to make that decision to cut the cord, cut the doubt, cut cut all the other ties that you think, oh, maybe he will let me off, all that stuff to understand that, you know what, anytime I make a decision, I, this is what I'm doing or this is how I'm going forward, that, that um, I got to go. I got to, and sometimes I might not get off my back. Uh, but I'm giving my best opportunity to get off my back by making that decision, by putting all my effort, all my time, all my energy on trying to do the techniques to get off of my back. And so I felt like that was the bigger lesson and not just, I mean, sometimes I felt like, you know, growing up, it might've been just cruel, uh, but, <laughs> but, but, um, but realistically it was, it, it was, it was pushing me once again, kind of, kind of like uh, we were talking about earlier is that purpose and goal uh, of, um, you know, if you want to be great, you know, you need to have these moments of being able to get off your back and just, you know, just to make my dad not sound so crazy. I was, um, I was in high school actually. And I had one of my worst matches I've ever had. Uh, if you ever wanted to beat me, wrestle me in the morning, first round. Okay. That, that was the best chance to get me because I wasn't awake and I wasn't a morning person for whatever reason. Okay. No matter what I did at that time, I didn't drink coffee. All right. So, um, uh, I'm, I'm losing to a kid that I have no business losing to, um, because he hit me with a big five point move and in wrestling, if in high school, if you get reversal or reversals too, and a three-point near fall. So I was on my back for five seconds. So this kid hit me with a big uh, five-point move and I'm on my back fighting for 20, 30 seconds to get off my back. And, uh, you know, so I'm down by, I want to say two, two with 15 seconds left. There is a, I had a bloody nose and, uh, you know, there's my dad giving me some positive uh, reinforcement saying you better win this match. You know, that's always great coaching. Okay, guys, always great coaching. You better do something. Okay. That's a great motivator. Uh, just, just in case, you know, anyways, but, <laughs> and sure enough, you know, be, uh, I get, I get away and with like 10 seconds left, I take the kid down to win by a point or two uh, to, wow. to win, to win the match. But uh, the bigger life lesson is, is that I, I was never put in that position. How do I survive that position? You know, cool. uh, so you got, you got to be, you got to be willing to go into those deep waters or those uncomfortable situations to be able to handle those situations. So, uh, you know, the, the adversity uh, doesn't reveal the high points of your training. It reveals the low points of your training. Yeah. So you really, really got to uh, train at a test level in all positions in life or in wrestling. Yes. So that is great because that, that gives a spiritual and practical analogy there. You probably heard your dad in your, his voice in your head too, right? 
you're in those positions, you go, oh, dad, get out of my you head. You have no idea how much I heard his voice in my head. <laughs> in wrestling, I would hear my wrestling sensei was uh, Noriki Gucci, who's in the Wrestling Hall of Fame. He was the inventor of Shuto, was kind of precursor to MMA. He was a gold medalist in the Pan American Games for Greco-Roman. And of course, he and Ichiguchi, who was a wrestling uh, Olympic gold medalist, used to train with us. And so I learned a lot. But I remember he would say the simple Japanese term. If I was losing, he would start screaming, Gambate yo, Gambate yo. And that means like, you can do this. You, you better do this. It was like in life, all these years later, he's still in my head when I went through the stage four cancer in 2015. Yes. You know, the lessons he taught me had become a life lesson that my desire to win had to be greater than my moments of challenge. That became a mantra for me. And it became something that I held on to that my desire to win in the Lord was greater than my moment that I was going through and the difficulties in life. You know, there's a spiritual analogy that I want both of you to touch on. And we know the scripture well, it's Ephesians 6, 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness, in the heavenly places. And Caleb, you had mentioned about how even these practical lessons of getting off your back, and that gave you the edge to be the champion that you became and you are and now as a head coach at the Vanguard University, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. So there's more going on and to get that edge. It's in us that we have to draw from the, the place of our relationship with the Lord to help us overcome every adverse situation. Every one of us goes through unexpected detours that we didn't expect. Things that I didn't expect to be on my back. I didn't expect to have cancer. I didn't expect this adversity to happen in my life. But those lessons we've learned have helped us biblically to overcome those adversities. How would you tie that in both Elias and Caleb about even life lessons today in the world in which we live? Because I know the gospel never changes. The message never changes. But methodologies may. But we've got to stay rooted in the message if we're going to have that edge in a world that's definitely off balance right now. A little bit later in that scripture says, having done all to stand. So I think that's a very missed key component of that scripture is because you can't stand if you haven't done everything to stand. You've got to prepare, you know, the renewing of the mind, you know, as I, I could just a little bit about my life story for a quick second, you know, being a young father at 17 years old, wrestling the biggest match of my life. And the next day I have a, a newborn son, unexpected things that happen in life. And, you know, being able to, I guess this is a gift from my father, just being able to be hundred percent in, in that, in that time frame, you know, being able to focus on one thing and then transition right into the next thing. But, you know, understanding that things sometimes don't go according to plan. Sometimes we mess up and there's adversity and there's, but you have one or two decisions to make. Either you're going to figure it out or you choose not to figure it out. You're going to do the next right thing. I mean, everyone has a uh, an iPhone, right? And I think all of us use our GPS on it. And then it says, if you make a wrong turn, it says recalculating. The destination doesn't change. It just tells you recalculating. We're going to find you a different route. That's sometimes that's life. You know, sometimes we got to hit the recalculating button. All right. But the goal doesn't change. Same year. I'm 17 years old and I'm ranked first in the state of California, which is a very, very uh, good state in wrestling or known for wrestling. And I'm top 10 in, in my weight class and I'm not getting heavily recruited. <laughs> I just take a uh, fourth in the, in the state, uh, fourth of the toughest tournament in the country as a senior in high school. You know, I'm not getting recruited and just to kind of, I might be foreshadowing here. 
not getting recruited, kind of getting frustrated. A lot of California schools are recruiting me. I'm frustrated because I have good grades. I know I'm a good wrestler, but I just feel like I'm not getting the opportunities or the looks or the calls, mm. the calls from the schools that I want to get calls from. My dad, he called in sick, called a sick day in for me. So I didn't have to go to school. And we went to, uh, to meet his, uh, his great friend, uh, Dr. Jesse Madonda, who passed, who recently passed away like two years ago, two to three years ago uh, now. And he's like, Hey, I'm a, we're going to go have lunch with them. We're going to talk to them. All right. I'm like, oh, cool. In my head, a day off of school, right? So so we, we go down to his office and we, we talk, we have lunch, great conversation. He sits me down. He's like, Caleb, what do you want from the Lord? I want God to open up uh, opportunities for me to go to the next level. And so this is a side note. Be careful what you ask God for, all right? The very next day. My Nokia little cell phone uh, starts blowing up from all the schools throughout the country that I've always wanted to go to. You know, you got University of Northern Iowa, you got Pittsburgh, you got Northern uh, Illinois, all these different schools, UNC, uh, North Carolina, you got all these different schools start calling me. The recruiting process was opening up for me. Fast forward, uh, that was 2006. Now we're 2017, 18. Uh, you know, I had a great job at, at, at Mount Sac, but, you know, I was ready to take that next step in my career from assistant coach to a head coach. I get a phone call to uh, go uh, interview for at Vanguard University. I'm driving to Vanguard. It's about a 30 minute drive, 40 minute drive from where I live. You know, I'm nervous. I've been blessed. <laughs> uh, I never really had an interview for a job before until this moment of my life so uh, i'm nervous i'm you know i got a suit on and if anybody knows me i really don't wear suits my my coaching outfit or my professional gear is sweats and a workout t-shirt and some nikes okay so that's my work attire so i'm you know really nervous as i'm pulling off the exit to vanguard university is fair drive off the 55 and as i pull off a piece comes upon me I have a flash of me at 17 years old. When I went to go meet Dr. Jesse Madonda, it was at Vanguard University. He was a professor. So of course I had the peace of God. I knew this is where I belong. I knew this is where I was at and I had to fight for it. You know, I had the interview process I had to go after and I had to go after these things. But back to the scripture, you know, you you go through all these things in life and, and you know, at 17 years old, you know, statistics say, I should have worked at, and there's nothing wrong with working at McDonald's or working. I should have been working at a minimum wage job. I should have just stopped what I was pursuing and stay and stay in this bubble and, and live in this parameter. I had to hit the recalculation button. This is before iPhone, but I had to hit the recalculation free button and fight for what God's what God had put in me in December of uh, 2005. You know, that God put this vision in me. God gave me a purpose to fight for, for what he wanted. But I had to, I had to have the principles. I had to have the foundations in order to fight. You know, I had to do all two stand. I couldn't just stand without doing the squats. Uh, those of you guys that uh, ever wrestled, be able to hold a stance for a very long time, do bear crawls, do, do our single leg shots, our defenses, our sprawls, all these different things. I couldn't be able to fight if I wasn't trained to fight. So I, once again, I guess that kind of goes back to the mentorship and, and uh, what my father has instilled in me. So once again, I really do thank my father of, of being a godly leader and not only a godly leader, but being willing to get in the fight with me because trust me. The battle of the mind was was real. The battle of the mind was to accept certain things. You have a lot of influences that are telling you different things, but you always hear that 
the true little angel in your ear. Not that my dad's an angel, but you know, you hear those those voices, those those voices, you know, whispering in your ear the truth. And you gotta train your ear, you know, to hear the right voice because trust me, the enemy tries to come in and and tell you one thing or distract you with another thing, or these thoughts, these random thoughts that go through your head and that are are crazy and outlandish. Uh, but my my one of my coaches, my college coach Doug Schwab, or actually Mark Schwab. Um, he told me, hey, you can't control what goes into your head, but you can control how long it stays there. What do you wow. focus on? It's having that trained ear, having that trained mind to fight what I uh, went for. Uh, once again, it goes back to all the, the lessons fighting off my back that my father uh, put me through or tortured me with back in, <laughs> back in the day. <laughs> so you're, you're glad your dad's voice was in your head and still is. So that's awesome. This time, this time, you know, sometimes you know, I hear a sprawl or her burpees and I, and I start twitching a little bit, but you know. <laughs> As you were just talking, Caleb, again, I was thinking about James chapter one, verse 12, and it says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised for those who love him. Uh, Elias, would you kind of wrap up some of the thoughts from our conversation today? When Paul writes in Ephesians, in Ephesians, the scripture that we're all quoting, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, you know, the, the struggle, the, the pale the, the, that Paul talks about, the spiritual warfare. There's a key word, it's used five times. It's the word against, and it's the Greek word pros, P-R-O-S, which means to turn and face to be face to face with. And it doesn't mean to be against something or not like something. As a coach and as a trainer, as a, as a leader, we have to teach people to come against them. That means to face your problems, to face your issues, to look at them in the eye and know that greater is he that's in you than he that is in the world. That it's not a psychological ignoring of something or, oh, I don't like that, so I won't engage it. It's, it's that pros. So we wrestle not against pros, we, we turn and face the issue. We face the enemy. We face. That's what I love so much about wrestling is the fact that when you actually uh, get called to the center of the mat, you put your foot on the line and you look face to face with your opponent. You are engaged. You, you are breathing the same air they're breathing. You are pushing for position. You're face to face. You never turn your back on your opponent. This idea of, of for we wrestle not, yes, the struggle, but it's your posture, your positioning in life. We're going to face our issues. We're going to face our opposition. And because God's power is upon our lives, because we are his children, we face the future with boldness, with strength, with ability, with anointing from heaven, with the scriptures, with the God of heaven in our lives. And so those are some of the lessons that I've learned uh, throughout the years and try to pass them on in all my coaching ability, on my coaching uh practices and, and also within the ministry thank you all for listening to us and and, oh, and and hope we imparted just a little bit of courage and strength and really refocusing you know recalculating i just finished an article that uh, i shared on social media the other day and basically it was called the value of the seasoned and golden aged among us and and really today we've talked about, we've seen two generations, actually three, four generations of Floreses that have imparted to each other, gave them the biblical principles to, to fight, to gambate yo, to you can do this, to do what they're doing today. And I uh, think about even wrestling, when you think about in the wrestling moment, Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord, but he, he became Israel. Something changes when we're willing to go to that step of wrestling. And then even wrestling with the Lord. I just want to encourage everyone today. Perhaps you're 
reflecting on your life and taking an honest assessment of the ways you've overcome challenges and maybe even examining your own shortcomings in life. Regardless of your past, your life experiences have become your life lessons that are producing a life message for the next generation. You are of great value and have much to impart to the rest of us. There is purpose for your life far greater than for which you may even realize today. So I want to encourage everyone that regardless of where you are, you can't change what's happened. You can't change the past, but where you are in Christ already determines your future. So be encouraged. You don't have to stay on your back, get up from your back as Caleb and Elias were talking about, and your desire to win can be greater than your moments of challenge. So God bless everybody. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.